0: Hello and welcome to Views from the Market, Mid-Market Private Equity and M&A in Canada. My name is Mario Negro. I'm a partner in the Private Equity and M&A group at Steikman Elliott. For today's podcast, I'd like to welcome our special guest, uh, Howard Johnson. Howard is the Managing Director and Head of Canada for Duff & Phelps, and Duff & Phelps is a part of the Kroll Group. Howard, thank you for for joining us. It's a pleasure to have you here today. No, my pleasure. Thank you. Howard, uh, you have been doing deals for a long time and you bring a variety of perspectives, both as a dealmaker and as a well-known valuator in the marketplace. So I'm excited to talk about your experience as a dealmaker and as a valuator, but maybe I'll start first by uh, asking you to tell us a little bit about yourself uh, and your group at Duff & Phelps. Uh, I'd love to learn more about both.
1: Yeah, thank you. So uh, look, my, my career started back in the late 80s with KPMG in Montreal, and then after moving to Toronto, I uh, took a different route. I went to work for Frito-Lay in corporate finance uh, or strategic planning, and then on to a, an industrial equipment company where I was the CFO. And it was at that time where I met a gentleman by the name of Ian Campbell, who was uh, well known as one of the uh, founders of valuation in Canada. And I joined Campbell Valuation Partners back in the mid-90s and then bought out Ian Campbell uh, around 2004 and immediately formed a company called Veracap that focused on mid-market M&A because that's where my, my passion lied and built uh, Campbell Valuation Partners and Veracap to selling them to Duff & Phelps in 2016. And I've been here ever since. So uh, as you've noted, uh, you know, Duff & Phelps is a large uh, global organization we have about 4,000 people around the world, uh, specializing in valuation, M&A work, as well as other services such as uh, cyber. Um, you know, my role at Duff & Phelps is really to head up the uh, the M&A group. Uh, I oversee the Canadian operations, but I mostly do uh, merger and acquisition work, mainly for companies that are valued between, you know, call it $25 million to $500 million, so classic mid-market. Uh, And the reason that I I sold my firm to Duff and Phelps is I really like the, the global seamless reach that it has. So it really helps us whenever we go to market to be able to work very collaboratively with my colleagues in the U S or Europe or Asia in order to bring the best uh, buyer or seller to the market as it may be.
0: Uh, One of the things that, uh, you know, people talk about from the, the global sell side advisory firms is what you were saying, the kind of reach that they have in terms of subject matter. And I'm, I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about the the subject matter experience or specialties that Duff and Phelps brings. Cause I know you, you have a particular interest in food and industrial. I mean, you, and I'm curious uh, to to learn a little bit more about the Duff and Phelps subject matter expertise that the, that they bring to the table.
1: Yes. When you're dealing with, uh, you know, mid-market companies, I think it's important to bring expertise uh, in terms of the qualifications and experience uh, as you've noted i've done a lot of work in the, the food and industrial areas because i have an operating background in those areas and it's certainly very very helpful uh, as well as a lot of work in building products and older economy businesses uh, fortunately at Duff Phelps, we we do have the benefit of specialized teams so we have for example a healthcare team that you know does nothing but uh, healthcare deals especially in uh, healthcare instrumentation we have a large tech global technology team that focuses just exclusively on technology and really keeps the, the banner of page mill partners, which has been around for a long time. Uh, we have an oil and gas specialty team. We have a restaurant specialty team. So the nice thing about the Duff and Phelps world is because it's globally seamless, uh, I can bring in the resources and the talent and the knowledge that I need uh, to do a deal where uh, whatever uh, industry segment it may be in.
0: I, uh, I want to take advantage of your experience as valuator, evaluator, uh, your long-term experience as a evaluator, Howard, because, you know, it's just such a, an interesting market when it comes to valuations. You've obviously been a, a student of valuations for a long time uh, in your work. Uh, I wanted to get your perspective on where you see valuations, particularly given uh, COVID and where you see them going uh, in terms of uh, the future given that it seems to be a, a incredible increase in valuations even for middle market companies i guess some people would say where where does this end yeah it's, it's a great question
1: and look when when covid first really broke out back around uh, you know march and april of 2020 uh, i thought that the MA world was going to be put on pause for a long time uh, over over the years i've written many books uh, on business valuation and corporate finance so i decided to hunker down and start writing some more books and you know the evaluations at the time that we were seeing were uh, obviously depressed uh, and a lot of the transactions taking place in those initial months were more in the terms of distressed deals at companies that had immediately uh, felt the impact of COVID but we saw a very rapid return it was a classic v-shaped curve and the rebound was actually stronger, uh, or today the the results are actually stronger, than it was pre-COVID. So the valuations have really come back, and a large part of that is because the debt markets have returned. Uh, I recall raising about $100 million of, uh, of debt financing back right when COVID started off, and it was a very difficult deal to do because the banks uh, had no idea how to price the uh, debt Since the the credit spreads were gyrating, you know, 10, 20 basis points on a daily basis. I mean, every senior banker I spoke to told me that what they were seeing in COVID was far worse than they had experienced in 2008. But once that settled down toward the end of 2020 and now into 2021, well into 2021, you know, we are seeing the lending come back and that is driving a lot of the valuations. And certainly what we are seeing is any decent business with north of $10 million of EBITDA uh, in a growing industry and a good growth story, is probably uh, looking at a double-digit valuation multiple just to get people at the table. So it has come back much quicker than I think most people anticipated and a lot stronger because of the amount of capital out there is absolutely unprecedented, both among strategic buyers as well as among uh, private equity firms and other financial investors
0: your thoughts uh howard on the sustainability is this a blip if debt tightens up are we going to see valuations come down or do you see this as kind of the new normal these heightened valuations are we in a new world where we just have to settle for the fact that uh, you know what used to be a company selling at six times is now eight or nine or ten times as you mentioned
1: well, because there is so much capital looking for a home right now, both among you know, financial investors, you know, we, we track this on a regular basis, and just the private equity firms in general have a, you know, well over a trillion dollars of dry powder, and companies that trade on the S&P 500 collectively have about three trillion dollars of, of cash available, so that cash has to be put to work. So while valuation is certainly bumpy and not in a straight line, and the bumps will continue, I anticipate that if we look forward to 2022, we're going to see that strength continue because there's a there's a need to place the capital into growth opportunities. Uh, over the long term, I think you know we, we're going to see uh, you know the valuations come back to more normalized levels. but I think in the near term, I would rather be a seller than a buyer.
0: And from a seller's point of view, when you look at the valuations, Howard, is it across the board? Are you seeing in, in your practice advising clients who are selling their business valuations increases in all industries? Or is it a phenomenon that's kind of, you know, sometimes people tie it to to specific sectors like tech? I mean, you're, you do a lot of food. You do a lot of industrials. Are you seeing it across the board?
1: We're seeing valuations elevated pretty much across the board, but a few sectors that are getting some particular interest at this time. You know, our, our technology, as you've noted, but also automation. Uh, we've all seen companies experience labor shortages and having to go to automation, and there's a you know, belief that companies with strong automation solutions, be it in, in warehousing or manufacturing, are going to uh, attract a premium. Uh, the other area, of course, is supply chain. We've seen a, a lot of the supply chain disruptions uh, over the course of the past couple of years. and I think that you know companies in that sector that have a good solution, you know, it could be in distribution warehousing and so on are going to enjoy uh, better valuation multiples in the near term than historically has been the case.
0: And have, have the high valuations made getting deals done harder? Have you find you know with expectations rising among sellers and buyers, have you noticed that it had an effect on the ability to close deals? Well,
1: it's, it's interesting on both sides. I mean, the buyers tend to be coming to the table and paying uh, some high multiples, which is always good for a sell-side uh, investment banker. Some of them are quite disciplined, and you'll really set the limits, and, and others just need to place capital at risk. So it's really about the need and the desire to transact uh, for both the buyer and the seller. On the sell side, uh, I deal a lot with privately held uh, business owners, And, you know, owners of medium sized businesses sometimes do come in with expectations that are higher than where they should be because they see very high multiples in the public equity markets. And of course, they try to equate that to to their own business. So sometimes I'm playing psychologist as much as I'm playing uh, uh, investment banker.
0: When you look at the valuations um, and kind of the underlying principles behind them, is the premise for the valuations really all about a competitive environment that we're in? Or do you think that some of these valuations really stem from the, the sector and just the nature of, of the sector? And what I mean by that is I know food, for example, has traditionally been a sector that investors have liked. And so it, it has made it easy for valuations to go up. Uh, on the other hand, you know, for other sectors, just the environment that competition has made. Industrials tended to be boring, you know, and now they've become interesting, and valuations have gone up. so is it is it driven more by sector or more by competition in the in the in the deal making space? Well, I think it's
1: a combination of of
0: both because
1: valuation is fundamentally premised on two factors, one being cash flow and the other being the rate of return. So if it's a growing sector, and therefore cash flow is expected to increase. And given that we're dealing with you know lower rates of return because the cost of capital has come down, that naturally uh, increases the valuations for most companies across the board or certainly those in growing sectors. But in order to, to get buyers to pay up for the prospective growth and the potential synergies that they may get, you know, that, that requires more of a robust auction. And that's of course where we come in is creating that auction so that we can get uh, every buyer to pay into their synergies and their growth expectations, which may not have, uh, have been proven out uh, at the time the deal closes.
0: And I wanted to spend a minute talking about your experience in terms of who you're seeing out there as the buyer's, I mean, obviously, we're seeing a lot more sellers uh, in the last year and a half, which is, I think is a surprise for all of us. Given COVID, we thought people would go to the sidelines. Instead, we're seeing a lot, an active uh, amount of sellers. But, but are you, in terms of your practice, in terms of the buyers out there, who are you seeing as the, the buyers in the marketplace that have been the most active, uh, particularly during this COVID period?
1: Well, we've seen both corporate buyers and private equity firms being very active. So on the corporate side, a lot of companies have benefited uh, as a result of of COVID. They've they've seen their uh, revenue and cash flow increase, and they've kept a lot of that cash on the sidelines just in case they've needed it. So a lot of public companies in particular find themselves flush in cash. And if you are the CFO of a public company, the worst thing you can have is cash on the books because the the shareholders are saying, look, either spend it or send it back to us. And CFOs generally don't like to send money back. And it also provide uh, presents an optical issue when you know companies may have received, for example, some government benefits, and then to pay out the shareholders with the, what is perceived to be money from the government and taxpayer money uh, oftentimes is, is frowned upon. So we see a lot of pressure on public company CFOs and CEOs to spend the money that's there, in a lot of cases, they've now changed their strategy because whereas before they used to look more toward these large transformative acquisitions, I think in a lot of cases, the corporate acquirers are now looking at more accretive acquisitions, which is great for mid-market deals like in the 50 or $100 million range because it creates a more robust auction among those strategics. For increasing their, their their bottom line and creating a, a good story in the market, on the opposite side, we do of course see a lot of interest among the uh, the private equity firms and you know at Duff and Phelps we have the benefit of a very robust financial sponsor coverage model. So you know we cover off about 600 of the major you know private equity firms in, in North America and overseas that typically fall in that mid-market range, and they are very aggressively looking at, uh, at opportunities. And whenever we have a decent size opportunity, uh, it's not unusual to have at least 20 initial indications of interest, even among just financial investors looking to place their capital, because in a lot of cases they do have a, a deadline to meet and uh, you know a, a fund life to, uh, to think about. So there is pressure on their side to get that money to work and to build and grow these businesses.
0: Howard, I I, uh, I ask uh, all our guests uh, the crystal ball question. I have to ask you the crystal ball question. And in particular, you, you've been doing deals a long time. It's obviously uh last year and a half has kind of changed a lot in the marketplace. And I wanted to get your perspective based on your experience and what you're seeing today. And where, you know, the kind of trends, where you think this market is going, uh, what you think we should look forward to, or, or what we can expect just based on your experience, where you think we're heading. So I, I believe that, given the abundance of capital available, that the
1: next 12 to 24 months is going to continue to be a uh, to be a strong environment, and certainly in the near term, that strength may be uh, increased as a result of some pending tax changes in both the U.S. and Canada. So we do see a lot of activity in the near term. I mean, there's always the chance that we have, you know, a setback due to another uh, COVID event or other events, but. I think the baseline expectation is the next 12 to 24 months will continue to be strong. Uh, a couple of things, though, that buyers and sellers need to address is the impact of COVID on normalized earnings. And this is one area where we see a lot of discussion and debate because in a lot of cases, COVID you know, hurt businesses and those businesses are trying to uh, sell a turnaround story. On the other hand, we have businesses where there was a lot of benefit as a result of, of COVID, such as you know warehousing and, uh, and some of the online uh, shopping that may have a, may cause the buyers to ask the question, is that sustainable? So we do see a lot of emphasis on quality of earnings analysis and, in fact, even sell-side quality of earnings to provide greater comfort of the sustainability or the achievability of a uh, forecast the EBITDA numbers and, and cash flows. But overall, uh, we do expect to see a very strong market over the next 12 to 24 months across most sectors.
0: And Howard, are you seeing the COVID effect in those valuations be dealt with through you know, earnouts that like we hear are becoming more popular? sometimes VTBs or, or, you know, rollover equity to create that. Like what are the instruments that you're seeing for buyers to get comfortable with the kind of COVID effect, if you want to call it, on valuations of businesses?
1: Well, when, when COVID first started, we saw VTBs uh, coming in as a popular mechanism in order to reduce the, the reliance on the uh, lenders because the lenders were stretched Given their risk profile at the time, but VTBs have now subsided back to what I believe are more normal levels. But we don't—we do see in a lot of cases some earnout mechanisms, because again, it's one of two worlds: either COVID hurt a business and the earnout is there to comfort the buyer that the growth is achievable or the recovery is achievable. And on the other hand, uh, where COVID has benefited. The selling business, the earnout mechanism can be there to comfort the buyer that you know those earnings levels that were achieved over you know, 2021 are sustainable in the years going forward. So we, we do see earnouts being uh, or playing a role, uh, certainly to reduce the um, uncertainty as a result of COVID. But when you have a very robust bidding environment as we do today, uh, certainly any groups that are prepared to take that risk and eliminate the uh, earnout requirement
0: are those that tend to be winning more deals. And the last question I have for you, Howard, is when you, you look at the future, I mean, obviously, we're seeing a lot more sellers in the market than, than all of us expected. We thought, uh, as mentioned earlier, that they would be on the silent. Do you, do you anticipate seeing that same robust uh, environment where we're seeing more and more sellers uh, than usual? And, and people say it's because of covid but wanted to get your sense on where you see sellers head spaces given the environment we're in i, I believe that the uh, the, the uh, supply of
1: sell-side opportunities will continue to be strong uh, in some cases it will be opportunistic in the near term due to possible tax changes and in other cases it will be because sellers just believe the timing is right given that valuations are higher now than they may be a few years down the road. So I think a lot of sellers are, are coming to the marketplace uh, prompted by a couple of these developments, although over the long term, I think there will be a continued supply of sellers because as entrepreneurs continue to age and we see the demographics going on where you have that baby boom generation in the late 50s, early 60s, as those people start to become late 60s and early 70s, we'll see them uh, t- looking to, to transact as well if they haven't already done so.
0: Howard, I, I want to thank you. It's been uh, great to have you uh, join us and, and particularly appreciate your insight and your perspective, both from a dealmaker, but, but also from a valuations perspective. Uh, uh, so thank you for joining us today and uh, and thank you for being a part of our podcast. Well, it was my pleasure. Thank you.